0: Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Melanie Strickland, co-founder and chief strategy officer at Slingshot Aerospace, a company building situational awareness technology to bring clarity to complex environments and create a safer world. In this episode, we go through how this company started and really what Slingshot Aerospace does, How Melanie's love for space began when she was just a child how they got boeing as their first client for this company what her role entails as chief strategy officer and kind of how this has evolved over time developing the core values behind the company the business model for Slingshot Aerospace and how this has shifted over time, the competitive landscape that Slingshot Aerospace operates in and making space operations more sustainable, and what Melanie is looking forward to in the realm of space in the future. As always, the show notes are just go slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here is Melanie Strickland, co-founder and chief strategy officer at Slingshot Aerospace. Melanie, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah, and I'm excited to talk about all the things you're working on, have had quite the career, and with Slingshot Aerospace, this company, what are you working on today with it, for people who aren't familiar?
1: Yeah, so today we are uh, taking in data from airplanes, drones, spacecraft, and uh, the ground sensors that actually monitor the the air and space in which they fly. Um, We bring that together, we actively curate different types of data, uh, most, most, uh, relevant to our customer base and then extract insights from that to help them make faster decisions.
0: And with that as well, Melanie, I'm going to take a giant step back. Where did your love for space first start?
1: Yeah, uh, really good question. As a child, I was infatuated with aircraft and space. Um, So I think some of that was inspired by being able to look up at the night sky and see the Milky Way on on most nights. Um, I had a telescope at a a young age and um, just really enjoyed looking at the night sky. My parents took us down to McDonald's Observatory. I grew up in West Texas. And and so uh, the joy of getting to see Halley's Comet in 1986, (laughs) I think it was, whenever it flew by, um, was also inspiring. And then, um, yeah, I I chose to go the Air Force route to to um, live out some of that dream.
0: And with that as well, then tell us a little bit more about your experience in the Air Force. And I, I want to give context for people as to obviously why you're starting this company and started a few years ago. But I'd love to hear more about your experience in terms of like some of the like types of high level things, at least you're working at the Air Force.
1: Yeah, certainly. So um, I joined the Air Force in 1996 as an enlisted crew member i flew in the back of a surveillance aircraft that did um, that that had a synthetic aperture radar on it so it could see long and far it could also see at night and through rain uh, unlike a lot of you know just optical sensors Um, the interesting thing about that first career move um, i was going to school nights and weekends studying uh aeronautics uh so that I can move over to the space side as soon as possible. But I learned so much uh, in that first assignment flying on JSTARS. The fact that we could pull in immense amounts of data from other satellites or other aircraft uh, and combine that with um you know our, our own sensor on board. The only thing was we had to do a lot of that um combination and data fusion in our own heads um, yeah. some of it was done on the aircraft, you know, we could, we could, uh, use our Doppler to understand when things were moving and then kind of hone in and understand that area better. Um, but that kind of stuck with me, you know, the, the fact that we couldn't do, it was such a rich data set when we would land the airplane we would pull the disc off and send it off to intelligence agencies that would go through the data, analyze it in three days, three months, three weeks later, we would get, um, you know, answers to, that could have, you know helped us have a different out, outcome of those missions, um, for yeah. better or worse. And so, um, you know, that stuck with me. And then I moved over to the space side, uh, where I got to do some amazing, uh, operations and development. So, uh, commanded, um, experimental spacecraft missions, and then later went on to develop, uh, space control technologies, future space control technologies, uh, for the air force at the time, which is now the space force, uh, component. And so... <laughs> Um in, in doing that, you know, that same issue followed. So we put so much time and effort into the sensors that we put on board our drones, aircraft and spacecraft that at the end of the day, the data analytics that help us make decisions faster uh, is oftentimes an afterthought. And so we started Slingshot Aerospace to really get after that problem set. Can we bring high power compute, artificial intelligence and our domain expertise to fold here and, and help deliver answers faster, better, um, to not only our warfighter, but can we democratize that type of capability and make the world a more secure place? And so that's why we started Slingshot.
0: And to that note, Melanie, take me through the timing of that. So in 2016, at least from LinkedIn and looking around, that's when it started. How did the timing come about of that was the time to start this company?
1: Yeah. So I had put in in 2016, I had been in the air force for 20 years. And, um, one of my co-founders, Tommy and I had been working on a, just a side project. Um, he had started a little LLC up in the central coast, uh, to fly uh, drones over vineyards and help viticulturalists understand their crop better. Um, and so he asked, Hey, would you be interested in, in doing this on the weekends with me? And I said, certainly, um, but let's talk about something a little bit bigger. And, and through that experiment, we, um, came up with the plans for slingshot aerospace to really get after bigger data sets and and uh, more critical situations and at that time we were being advised by our um, other co-founder David Godwin who's also my brother-in-law so some people are wondering <laughs> you know how in the world do two Air Force officers come across a serial entrepreneur that's a big data architect at the same time so we got pretty lucky there but um, but we um, decided, uh, in late 2016 um, to start Slingshot Aerospace, to get all the, the logistics, um, you know, the foundation of the company uh, built from a legal perspective. I retired from the Air Force in July of 2017, July 1st, and July 15th, we were sitting in Techstars, Los Angeles. So
0: um,
1: <laughs> during that time, between the time in August that we decided to start Slingshot and July, a lot of being in the right place at the right time had happened, including meeting Anna Barber, the managing director at the time of Techstars Los Angeles. And that that was a really neat experience for us.
0: Yeah, I would love to go through that experience of going through Techstars. And obviously, like you mentioned, Anna was. Anna's now you know, M13, for people who are wondering. Um, but the experience of Techstars LA back then, how was that? And why did you decide to go through an accelerator for this?
1: Yeah, well, one of the main reasons uh, was you know Tommy and I, didn't come with, you know, the typical entrepreneurial, commercial business kind of expertise. Sure. Um, although we we groomed programs and had, um, you know, millions of dollars to uh, build different capabilities. Um, it was, you know, it was a little bit scary um, yeah. <laughs> stepping out of the air force in such a safe world, so to speak. You know, we were good at what we did. We had teams. We were mission driven. Um, we knew the rules, um, and we and we got stuff done in the Air Force. We were entrepreneurs, uh, but stepping out into uh, the entrepreneurial world, going from um, you know 21 years in the Air Force out to this, it was it was something uh, that we thought was important uh, that we all get up to speed as quickly as possible. And TechStars provided that forum for us. And David at first was like, you know, I don't know. We, I, I have this ex- experience, uh, but the more we talked through it, we all um, came to the decision together that this was a really good thing for all three of us.
0: And with that, I've talked to a number of people who have gone through TechStars. I've, I've talked to Anna Barbara before. I've talked to different people who, who have run TechStars accelerators. For you in the in that program, then, what were or some of the KPIs you're working on or what, what was like really the things you were working on in Techstars as you were really early in this business? I would love to hear more about that in terms of some of the things you, you did while you were there.
1: Yeah, certainly. So we had two main goals. Um, the first being, hey, let's get our first contract. Uh, the second being by demo day, um, we want to have a term sheet. Um, yeah. And so uh, through that process, um, we were able to do both of those. Our first contract was with Boeing um out here in southern california and then we were also um able to get a fully subscribed round of uh, term sheets together and so that was that was a successful thing for us the most meaningful thing during that time frame was not those two things the most meaningful thing was the mentors and the level of expertise that they brought in the door to cultivate us
0: with that as well you mentioned boeing did you know, in terms of understanding this business and what you wanted to do with it, the the customers like how did you land on like Boeing was going to be that? Well, Boeing was the first one, but how did you land on that being the the first use case or best use case necessarily uh, early on? I would love to hear more about that as well.
1: Yeah, it stems from our time and and later in our Air Force careers, the the types of programs that we were working on being really really close to those types of use cases and being able to describe how. We plan to um, to to help solve those those hard problems that Boeing was working on at the time. Um, I think it's important whenever you're building a a company that you uh, one make sure that you have um, you know uh, team members within the founding team that that are experts or come from that domain have deep knowledge in a domain, and so that helped us one get our first contract, but. Moreover, uh, throughout the initial couple of years of Slingshot, we we um went deep with defense, with um, with aerospace and those types of of places that we knew we could we could solve problems for, and then spin that technology into a commercial offering.
0: And with that commercial offering, I mean, I'm seeing your website and everything as well with the kind of different areas you you support then. How have you looked at expanding from from that early t- days when you knew of kind of the initial who we were going to target just from your experience as well? And then looking at expansion in terms of the different use cases, the different uh, people who could really benefit from Swingshot Aerospace, how have you gone about thinking through that or what's that process been like for you, Melanie?
1: Yeah, it's been a love-hate relationship, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it, you know, it sounds nice when you say, hey, we're going to take these these capabilities like um, you know, building detection or uh, debris detection and take that over to emergency management and, and help with those types of complex environments um, and decisions within that. And that that works, right? Um, when you try to take this out and, and go into something, say insurance, for example, they have their enterprise systems well built, well oiled, um, and to disturb that system, is quite hard. It's harder than you know going in and saying, hey, I know precisely what your use case is and here's how we're going to apply this technology towards it. Now you have to understand what technologies are in their stack. How long have they been using it? What are the decision makers from the CEO down to the, the analyst who would be using the, the capability and, and work through that? Um, and so um, moving towards um, you know, an enterprise offering like insurance, we found difficulty there. And, I, and I'm and i just not sure that when we went for insurance, if insurance was ready for that type of digital transformation. And so um, it's been better for us uh, aimed at um, security, commercial space, and really, you know, offerings like Construction and, and those environments that need an overhead understanding of of change as they work through projects.
0: On that note, with with you mentioned construction, you mentioned different kind of use cases. I, I would love to hear more about the the product in terms of what you're doing for these companies or these different a- industries and how they work with you in terms of what that actually looks like.
1: Yeah, so we have become a very uh, customer centric organization. So what that means is. We do have an underlying event-driven architecture. We take that in, we ask our customers what their biggest problems from a spatial temporal perspective are, um, because our goal is to take the data that's most relevant to them um, and apply that um, in a way that, where we can get all of their spatial temporal on one screen um, in a way that they can make decisions on, uh, especially in critical situations. what affects either their risk uh, portfolio or their uh, bottom line? And so the event driven architecture has been helpful um, just to show, hey we can bring in a million observations from um, ground stations looking up at space every two seconds um, <laughs> or we can you know scale that back and do some batch processing with uh, the most relevant data for you so that's mainly how we approach our customer base. And, and there's always a little service component on top of that to make sure that we get it right. Um, but for the most part, the underpinning event driven architecture is the, the platform.
0: Uh, on that note with the the data, getting the data itself, how are you acquiring the data? Wh- where where are these sources that already information available? You have partnerships that you have to get this. I'm curious as to how that kind of works with you guys too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. For, for, uh, We have aerial uh, providers who we've partnered with. We've got satellite providers we've partnered with. We bring in open source data. We bring in um, our customers' data. Um, And again, it just really depends on what they're trying to get after. If it's space situational awareness, um, we bring in a whole host of contextual data as well as government data and, um, and partner data. Um, believe it or not, there's commercial providers now that look up at space and help us monitor uh, <laughs> space debris and such.
0: And with this as well, take me through more of your role with the company and, and what you're kind of focused on day to day as well.
1: Yeah, so I'm the chief strategy officer and and really bringing um, the Polaris uh, North Star into focus for the for the uh, wider team. Um, and then I also heavily focus on. Um, our our government and commercial space customers um, and making sure that we're delivering uh, to those folks and I lead that side of the, the
0: the company how do you then keep the company focused to that point of the north star of sorts how, how do you do that what does that look like for you
1: yeah it's it's not easy um you know you can go through these exercises every year or every quarter um, on whatever cadence you'd like but Um, to define and make sure that your North Star is in focus. But if you don't relay that to the team almost on a daily basis, uh, things can unravel both from a culture perspective and a focus perspective and an offering perspective, frankly. And so um, it's it's very, very important for us to revisit that. And we've learned a lot of hard lessons around that. We didn't start out uh, where we are um, by any <laughs> means, but it, it takes work and effort and it, and it takes hiring the right people, um, to make sure that, you know, they're inspired by the North star and that they can carry on when that North star gets a little fuzzy.
0: And with that, I mean, hiring is a huge part of any startup, especially and trying to figure out the right people to bring in. How has that gone for you? Or how have, how has the team gone about building, building that side of things and bring the right people in for Slingshot Aerospace?
1: Yeah, at first we were hiring really fast. Um, we would hire, you know, um, someone that we knew or thought had, you know, deep expertise, and sometimes they did, and sometimes they didn't. Um, and then we also figured out, hey, this culture thing—it's not just you know an Air Force thing. This is also a startup thing, <laughs> and um, and we really have to cultivate it. It's not formed like it was in the Air Force. We had our core values that were instilled in us from day one. We all lived by them. And it became really evident through the first year that, hey, if we don't do something about culture, culture is going to create itself and it's probably not going to be what we want it to be. And so um, taking on um, hiring as a subject here, um, you know, we found it very important to to uplift our entire process throughout 2020, meaning we brought in, um, you know, Marissa Perez, who's also a Southern California uh, firm here. She's got Silicon beach talent and um, she has been transformational for us in uplifting our hiring process here. Um, and we just started hiring slower, uh, really understanding, you know, the core values that we want in, um, in our hires and, our new team members, and understanding that that is almost more important. Well, it is more important than their skill set. We definitely want their skill set to uplift the company. But if they're the smartest you know, scientist or software engineer in the world, it quite frankly doesn't matter if they don't fit and add value to our culture. So we've really slowed down the pace at which we hire um, and, and have been more diligent about um, how we go about that.
0: And and to that point, I mean, what are the either core values you're looking for from people you're bringing in, or also even core values of kind of the culture at Slingshot?
1: Yeah, certainly. So some of the most important ones to me um, are integrity, right? And if you look at you know where Tommy and I and a lot of our team members come from in the Air Force, that was our number one core value. Integrity means doing what's right when no one else is looking, um, and that core value helps us keep that. North Star in focus right um, because if if in fact people are doing what's right even when no one's looking they're carrying the torch they're they're making sure that our customers understand that we're honest brokers that we want the best for our customers and that brings me to you know a principle that spins off we have several core principles that spin off of our our core values one is putting the customer at the very center of everything that we do so that all the decisions we make, solve our customers' problems. And there's, there's, there's no way around that, that, that voice of the customer is part of our, our pods. It's part, part of the way we develop now. Um, and that really helps us uh, deliver to our customers, but it also helps us form as a team. And so the other core value I'd like to mention here is, is trust and respect and, you know, making sure that we, um, we instill that from the from the very first day forward is important. So if someone has a problem with someone else on the team, that they can solve that at at that level and not talk to someone else on the team either laterally or or um, in the the chain um, because that can create toxicity, right? Yeah. So we want to prevent that from happening. Um, so trust and respect from day one for everyone on the team, despite how they may see the world differently than you either inside the company or out. Um, and then bringing diversity to the team, um, is important to keep that trust and respect going as well. Um, we, we want to make sure that, um, curiosity and action for bias. I mean, a bias for action are part of, um, the folks that we bring to the team as well that way it's not you don't have to ask people to do what you know they've been called to do here at slingshot um they just do it um (laughs) yeah it's a it's a you you can you know provide the north star provide bumper bars and the the voice of the customer and they just get after it they create they're curious they always keep the um you know, the the progressive mindset on, um, is there a better way to do this? Um, just because I know one way doesn't mean it's, you know, the best way for this customer. So let's get after the best way to do this. So that that core value of curiosity um, helps us with that.
0: Yeah, and, and that's what's helped you build a company. It's evolved over time, as you mentioned. It wasn't necessarily just top of mind necessarily the beginning, which is so many things going on with the company when you're building it. One of the things we haven't really discussed yet, though, with this is the, the business model. Like, What is the business model then behind Slingshot Aerospace?
1: Yeah, so um, in the beginning, it was um, more services oriented, to be honest. It was um, getting in the door, really understanding someone's problem, and then figuring out how to solve that problem for them without the underlying stack. Because in the beginning, you don't have a product necessarily. And so, you know, us getting that early contract and Techstars meant we had to sacrifice being a sole, solely a product company in the very beginning to balancing. It, it's a balance between um, knowing that eventually we're going to have a platform and that is going to be our product. And we are going to be a product company. That's what we set out to do. But in the beginning, if you want early contracts, Then it's very important uh, to understand the balance between adding a services layer uh, into that product play. Um, And so in the beginning it was it was more services where we would maintain our IP through that service, we would we would get paid to build our platform. Um, And over time, as the platform has matured, the service layer gets thinner. Um, But because we are, um, you know, that platform is complex and it solves deep problems in in critical timeframes, it's always going to, it will most likely always have a little bit of a service component on top of it. Aside from some of the residual products that that stem out of that, like an imagery marketplace, if someone just needs to go in and buy an image or images and watch change over time, that's a SaaS play completely uh, 100%. So hopefully that helps.
0: Yeah, definitely. It gives more context around that. And are there, I mean, Describe the kind of competitive landscape you're dealing with in terms of what you're doing, because it's, it, <laughs> I assume like there's maybe not that many, just based on who you're working with, the big companies, but what does the competitive kind of landscape look like for for you at Slingshot?
1: Yeah, you know, we we um, are kind of spread across uh, space domain awareness and geospatial uh, intelligence and um, edge processing, um, because as you heard earlier, low latency decisions are our cream of the crop, right? Like that, that's what, that's where we all aspire to be. Um, But, but across that, um, there are many competitors across that landscape. Um, And so whenever we, we think about um, commercial space, for example, um, it's almost a blue ocean for us, the way we're approaching the problem. There are competitors in the observation space, right? That have vertically integrated, Answers, but those are typically only uh, offerings with their sensors. Whereas we pull in many sensors, and we also bring in uh, contextual data either from the customer's IT stack or their operations stack in order to provide um, you know greater awareness of what's going on within their operations. When you move over to um, um, places like security or oil and gas. Um, typically, it's your geospatial firms that are the competitive landscape. But a lot of those geospatial firms have been um, around for a long time. They've got legacy stacks that are hard to m- maneuver and manipulate and really get after the, the simple problems or the more complex problems that you have from a layman's perspective or a, a non-technical perspective. And so um, when we go into you know the more geospatial realm, we're looking to make the experience as simple as possible um and just answer the 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 questions that they're after and not give them an entire um design portfolio to get after (laughs) all the problems in the world so that's how we kind of approach the competition across those landscapes
0: yeah it's a variety variety you're Uh dealing with when you're in so many different spaces uh which is interesting to deal with and and for you as well just kind of even taking a step back, what are you just most excited about in terms of space, future of space, anything around what's going on? I would just love to hear your perspective.
1: For sure. Um, I am most excited personally around space. Um, I think it's our biggest problem to solve. And I also think it's our biggest opportunity. And so if if you look at space, whenever I left the Air Force, we had approximately 1,800 active satellites on orbit, and today we have well over 2,000 with launches almost every day from around the world, and we're really starting to populate um, our low-Earth orbit. Um, so now you're looking at hundreds and hundreds of objects on orbit, um, and with all of those objects also comes debris. Yeah. And so if you think about you know, the many decades that we've been spacefaring now as a world, um, there's at least half a million um, pieces of debris that are traveling at just incredible speeds around the globe Um, with that. So with that, um, you combine those two factors with uh, the fact that more and more spacefaring nations are looking for, for national space supremacy or space superiority. And so now things are a little more edgy And space is moving into, or devolving, honestly, into a warfighting domain. Um, And that can be scary when you've got all of these pieces of debris flying around. And, um, you know, any time a a collision of a piece of debris with a high-value asset could be misinterpreted as an act of war, for example. Uh, That's scary to me. But what's also even more scary than that, um, because the probabilities of that are little bit low right now is the fact that over the next 15 years, we're looking at, you know, quadrupling at a minimum, the number of satellites. Some estimate over the next three to five years, we'll have 58,000 satellites with all of the mega constellations going up for broadband. Um, And so what that does is it, it really complicates things. Our daily lives depend on space, whether it's the blue dot on your phone, uh, that's telling you where to go, uh, whether it's uh, this phone call that we're on right now, or going to the bank. Our entire financial systems run off GPS and and communication lines that that um, are enabled by space. And so, to me, the most important thing and the thing that's most exciting is making space sustainable for years to come. You know, collision upon collision could turn into a real world uh, gravity situation. The movie Gravity. Mm-hmm. And that would deem our orbits unusable for thousands of years. And so um, it's important to me to make uh, space sustainable, just like we have initiatives down here on Earth to make our planet more sustainable. We need to do that for space. And I'm just proud that Slingshot is really getting after that, both on the government uh, global stage, as well as um, some of the commercial space entry points that that we're looking at over the course of 2021.
0: Well, with that, Melanie, I mean, I would love to hear more about what, what that entails in terms of making space more sustainable. What do you mean by that? And what does that actually look like then?
1: Yeah, so uh, space operations, whether you're a commercial owner, operator of satellites, you enable those operations, you're a rocket provider, etc. It, it's really important to know where all these objects are on orbit, whether it's debris or active satellites or defunct satellites. Um, know where they are at any given time. Know what they are, know what's in its path, right? These things are going around the Earth and in in uh, very very fast. Um, and I think it's very important for for op- for any operation to know, um, you know, what's around them, what's in their path, uh, what risk um, debris poses to them, um, and how to operate within the space environment. Um, to get the most out of their payloads or to get the most out of their missions, et cetera. And so I kind of lost track of your question, but...
0: (laughs) Just wondering about making space sustainable and what that kind of entails and what that looks like.
1: Yeah, so making space sustainable means uh, those owner-operators that do go up to space have debris mitigation plans and understand everything that's around them while they're operating their satellite. Uh, Slingshot can help with that. Um, It's also making... um, our infrastructure on orbit more sustainable so can we um can we gas up on orbit or are these going to forever be a one one show play yeah. um and and in in uh refueling on orbit it's even more important to understand where everything is in in proximity to your operations and in your rendezvous operations and so slingshot can help with that um, as time progresses, I'm hoping that there's more and more cleanup activity going on. And in order to understand how to clean up a debris field, you really have to know where it is, where you are, and the best courses of action to to clean that up. So slingshot can help with that. And then slingshot can help with any space operation uh, from from a daily mission perspective as well.
0: For you in the last you know three plus years here of, of being a co-founder of Slingshot, What's been most helpful for you to understand how to help grow and run a business?
1: Yeah, I think um, mentors, um, like I mentioned earlier, the uh, Techstars Accelerator, um, you know, helped us from the very beginning set a foundation of mentors to surround ourselves with. And we've taken that seriously. And whether it's mentors from within the Techstars ecosystem or outside, I um, think that that's very important. We've, um, you know, added to our team advisors that um, help carry that on as well. Um, so I just think it's really about surrounding yourself with the right people inside and outside of the company. And uh, that's helped me learn the fastest. Also, failing fast, um, something that you know, it, coming from the space realm, um, is not something that uh, we. We took lightly for many years and now, you know, Elon and those types of companies that have come about have really helped us understand that it's okay to fail fast as long as you're mission driven and you're about excellence and you're going to get there. And so we've brought that fail fast attitude into Slingshot and that's helped me learn a tremendous amount from technology to, um, you know, just the way we, we develop in our design process and all of that. So has been super helpful. So I'd say between mentors and learning how to fail fast, it has been super helpful.
0: Yeah. And, and with that as well, then, with your career and with what you've done with Slingshot, I mean, what helps you to recharge and step away?
1: Yeah, that's probably my biggest weakness is being able to step away. Um, I need to work on that. Um, um, I, yeah. In the beginning of 2020, I uh, decided to hire an executive coach. Um, And that has been transformational for me to understand how to, um, you know, balance stress on a daily basis, take time for myself. But I struggle at taking large chunks of time, even at a week at a time. And so over 2021, that's a goal of mine is to take more, you know, chunks of time off to either for thinking and writing, or just to uh, completely recharge. But I think it's important that you know, you, you maintain a, a healthy balance, um, exercise and meditation of course are centered to that. Um, but adding to that, you know, seasonal time off is, is critical.
0: Yeah. And I've, I've talked to a number of people recently. I mean, I guess everyone pretty much on the show, they're ambitious, like taipei driven people, uh, just inherently through running a startup, but even more recently, a number of people who, couple people people have been at SpaceX and then another one who's been at Tesla uh, mm-hmm. and very obviously in intense working environments. Mm-hmm. And that can be so difficult to take time away because you often can, times really can't um, mm-hmm. in that environment. And I also had a couple people recently who are typically further along in their business, kind of like you being a number of years in at least, which is still early, but they it also mentioned hiring executive coaches for, for you, what got you to, that point? Cause I'm sure there's other people who have considered that or, you know, not sure about it, but, but for you, like what made you then do that? And I'd love to hear more about the experience too.
1: Yeah. For me, I realized that I was, I was having a hard time communicating what I really meant in a concise way. And I was getting frustrated when I felt, you know, either my co-founders or, um, you know, my leadership team or something wasn't responding the way I thought that they would. Um, and then I realized, "Hey, Mel, I think this is a I think this is something that you need to work on, not your team. Um, and um, our our uh, our hiring representative Marissa introduced me to um, just an incredible coach out here in Southern California and, and now both David and I um, use her uh, regularly, and it is just truly helped us communicate better because we're both trying to say the same things but sometimes you just need that rosetta stone and then you need a tool bag to start filling with tools of how to better communicate and that's what uh, she's done for us
0: are there any anything you could you would share on that in terms of the the tools that you are using to help uh, communicate better that's a huge part of obviously any company really having that open line of communication would love to hear anything if you have it
1: for sure. There's, um, there's a, um, model called soon S O O N. And it's really a series of questions to really get after understanding where someone is coming from. And, um, you know, you don't always have to tell people what to do and how to do it. Um, you can ask questions to really get their, uh, minds working in a, in a creative spot that allows you to understand where they're coming from, but also allows you to insert, um, um, not direction is not the word I want to use here, but um, insert your ideas into their creative process through questions. So now you're understanding each other versus saying, here's the way I think it needs to be. And, and let's go do that.
0: With that as well, then just one more thing on that. I'm just curious, how how does it look in terms of how often you're, you're working with the coach and longer sessions? Like I would love to more know more about that.
1: Yeah, so I meet with my coach uh, every two weeks. And then David and I meet together with the coach um, once a month.
0: Gotcha. No, it's helpful because uh, I think I've had a lot of people who are kind of considering that it seems like because they're at a spot where they're like, I don't know, I think I need some help in some capacity. And it's like, well, I've had a number of people on the show mention a coach, getting an executive coach, it could be something to, to yeah. look at.
1: You know, it can be pricey, but I highly recommend yeah. the investment it pays off dividends.
0: Yeah, especially when you're dealing with your, your own psychology and then how you're a better leader because you impact yeah. everyone on the team.
1: And then in this remote environment, you know, communication's quite different than it is in person.
0: Yeah, it is definitely different. How has that been for you then, Melanie, on that note?
1: Yeah, the good thing with SlingShot is, you know, we we have two offices, one in Austin and one out here in El Segundo. So we already had a remote culture um somewhat speaking with either office every single day. Uh we had tentacles across engineering and BD and sales and um so those tentacles were there. So it was um it wasn't um you know, as disruptive as we thought it would be. But from the very beginning, we had, you know, I told you earlier, we had um, put culture as one of our our centerfold um, objectives for the year. So making sure that we were able to keep the teams culturally aligned from a remote perspective, as well as give them the outlets that they would have uh, in an office setting. For example, everyone has time in an office where you're just talking about home life or the game last night or those types of things. Yeah. So we set up water coolers every morning. We have a 15 minute water cooler and you, you're you not mandated to come, but if you want to come, you can. Sometimes there's a topic, sometimes there's not, but the topic never has to do with work. Um, and so that's been a lot of fun for the teams to, to do that. And we have an Austin water cooler and an LA water cooler and either team are invited to either. So we've actually seen, um, you know, increase in, in uh, teaming like the team's understanding each other yeah. from a different perspective um, because they have that cross culture, Austin, LA vibe now going on, which is kind of neat to watch. And then we have a happy hour. Last night we had a happy hour and I haven't laughed so hard in a very long time that we did during that happy hour last night. Um, Zoom, has made it so fun with all of these new video enhancements that they've added over the last couple of weeks here. So uh, we, we have a ball um, and our holiday season is going to be a little bit different. Typically we go to alternating cities for for our holiday party and bring the whole team and one family member to um, that. But this year we're going to do a remote, um, a remote activity. So we've got two really cool activities. I can't, Say here in <laughs> case this podcast goes out earlier than that, but yeah. um, we're going to do it remotely and, and, and see how that goes. So we're excited about that.
0: I love that. I had someone else on the show mentioned that uh, they do every once a week, they do, it's not necessarily just a happy hour. They have one person. On the team has to lead a, a game of some sort. They do a different game. Every <laughs> single that. week is a new game. And I'm like, that's incredible. Uh, and they say it's the, like, it's the most fun thing. I mean, everyone's excited because it's something I different every it. time. You know, yeah. find, you know, finding ways yeah. to be creative, especially in this environment. It doesn't have to just be the drag of more Zoom, but if it's something fun and it's a game or like uh, there was like a scavenger hunt one time they somehow did. Like it, yeah, there's ways to find a way to kind of build your culture and build your team and kind of have that camaraderie, even though we are in a virtual uh, environment of sorts. Right. There's always a way. Right. <laughs> and Melanie, where can people go to learn more about Slingshot and connect with you as well?
1: Yeah, uh, go to our website, site, uh, slingshotaerospace.com.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today, Melanie.
1: Of course. Thank you for the
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.